Well, please uh, take your seats and turn uh, with me uh, in your Bibles to Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. Uh, in the church Bibles, that's page 484. We began looking at Nehemiah uh, last week, uh, and we're going to continue uh, the rest of chapter 1 this evening, uh, but I'm going to read uh, the whole of uh, chapter 1 uh, for us. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is God's word. If you were here last week or have listened to last week's sermon, we introduced Nehemiah by saying that Nehemiah was a book that strengthens God's people to be involved in God's building work. We saw that in the Old Testament here, that building work involved building the walls around Jerusalem to bring respectability uh, and, uh, the, and to give the reputation of the name of God, that which it deserved, as the city was looking a disgrace. But we saw that in the New Testament, for us, we are involved in the work that God has in building his church. And Nehemiah strengthens all of God's people 
to be involved in that great work. And last week we saw that the involvement in being in, uh, of, of building the church, our involvement starts with seeing the need, seeing the need that is around us so that we know that we need to be involved. But what comes after seeing the need? Well, in the verses we've just read, we see that we need to seek the Lord. So first of all, we see the need. Tonight, we're going to see how we seek the Lord. We're going to see Nehemiah accomplish deeds of of great things. Uh, We see Nehemiah as an urgent uh, leader, leading God's people to do amazing feats. But there is much urgency and much action to come. But all of the success that is coming Nehemiah's way is built on a foundation of prayer that is laid out in this chapter. He prays before he acts. And that is a model for all of us. And Nehemiah, in these verses, really from verse 5 to 11, as we see his prayer, teaches us how we pray. Uh, Many Christians rightly ask the question, how do I pray? In one sense, it's the most simple thing in the world. We, we teach our children how to pray by saying, it's talking to God. And that's very true. But also, we develop our prayer life, don't we? And Nehemiah here shows us how we can do that, how we can pray, uh, how we can develop our prayer lives. And if you want to know how to pray as Christians... Uh, The best way, really, you can learn how to pray is to look at the prayers in the Bible. Because in the Bible, we see many examples of God's people praying, one of which is here. And we can use those prayers in the Bible as a springboard for our own prayer lives. And tonight, we're going to see how to build a foundation of prayer that enables us to accomplish mighty things in the kingdom of God. But before looking at the prayer in detail, it's worth reminding ourselves of an important truth. The truth is this, God works through the prayers of his people. We have to remember that. Uh, He does not need us to pray. In fact, God doesn't need anything. He's not needy. He's not up there thinking, I really wish you would pray. I can't do anything unless you do pray. That's not how God works. But in God's sovereignty, amazingly, he chooses to work through the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. That's how God works. And that means that as his people, we live in dependence on God. And as Christians, we pray to God in dependence so that he accomplishes his will through us. And as Christians, our accomplishments for God will never outrun our prayers. And so we must be a church that prays if we want God to work through us. And that's true as individuals, that's true as families, that's true as a church body. We must be people of prayer because our God uses our prayers to do his work. So how do we pray? Well, we've seen at the beginning the plight of God's city. 
We've seen the pain of God's servant, and we're going to look tonight at the prayer of God's servant. And really, this prayer breaks into four uh, parts, which form a, a helpful structure for how we can pray. Uh, you can use what we're going to see tonight in your prayer life, and I hope that you recognize in Nehemiah's prayer uh, how we pray uh, as a church, uh, and even how we sing as a church, because singing uh, is a form of prayer, isn't it? We, we, we speak to God through uh, the songs that we sing. So we're gonna, uh, going to see this structure uh, from Nehemiah that will help us as we pray. And first of all, in this uh, prayer of Nehemiah, we see that as we pray, we need to adore your God. Adore your God. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't begin as he prays with his own problems. Uh, he grounds his prayer in the greatness and goodness of God. And that's interesting because he's driven to prayer by a problem, isn't he? The problem of Jerusalem is the big thing that's going on. That's the context of him praying here. But he doesn't begin with that problem. He begins by adoring God through his, his praise of him. Uh, in ver- at the beginning of verse 5, notice how he adores God for who he is. Notice there what he calls God. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Do you notice that? He calls God Lord, that's the God of Israel, the personal God of the people of God. It's the only God, but we're able to call him Lord, and he's the God of heaven. So he's, he's the ruler over everything, the ruler of all, and he is great and he is awesome. He's the Lord, our God, he's the God over all, and he is great and he is awesome. Now we read of those uh, aspects of God all through the scriptures. Uh, you may notice some of those truths in some of the songs that we sing. Uh, for example, tonight we sang Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. It speaks of those attributes of God that show him as, as great and as, as awesome. Uh, it shows him as the God who is over all. Uh, we sing of these things. We praise God for these things. We read of these things all through uh, the scriptures. And as we come to pray, it's good that we begin by meditating on the greatness and the awesomeness of our God. We remind ourselves who we are praying to. We're not praying to some wooden deity on a statue who can do nothing. We're not praying uh, for some mind games to, to, to help us uh, get some self-help and meditation in that way. No. We are praying to the Lord, the God of heaven, who is great and awesome. And so when we are praying, we're praying to a God who can do something about what we're praying for. He is the Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome. But notice in the second part of verse 5, he, he doesn't just uh, adore God for who he is, but for also for what God is like. Look at the second part of verse 5. Who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now those who love him and keep his commandments is a, a way of describing the people of God. So if you're a Christian, you, can, you should be described as one who uh, loves God and keeps his commandments. 
But the Lord is a God who is the promise-keeping God. That's the, the covenant there. The God who loves his people. And that's wonderful because we're praying to a God not just who is great and awesome and can do anything, but we're praying to a God who cares about us, who loves us, who has a covenant with us. And these are really important truths to remember as we pray. We can come to God confidently knowing he can do something about what we pray about. And a God who loves us and who will hear us as we pray. And it's in the context of of this that Nehemiah asks God at the beginning of verse 6 to listen to the prayers of his servant. He can ask God to listen to him because the great and awesome God can listen because he's real and he will listen because he loves Nehemiah. And so I would encourage you as, as you pray, don't just rush into God with your requests. There are times when we need to do that. We'll see that in chapter 2. But spend some time when you pray, uh, maybe listening to uh, or singing a hymn or a song that reminds you of these kinds of truths about God. Um, there, there are loads of songs you can sing, uh, loads of uh, Christian hymns uh, that we can, and, and songs that we can praise God with. Uh, just spend some time doing that. And it will help you as you come to pray to be reminded of who God is. Or read a psalm of praise. Uh, If you want to write a psalm down, uh, Psalm 103. It's a lovely uh, psalm praising God for who he is and what he has done for us. Begin your prayer time reading through that psalm. And just go through it line by line. I, I praise you, Lord, for this. I praise you, Lord, for this. And so on and so forth. So you're reminded of who it is we're coming to. Remembering who God is helps us when we're disappointed, when we doubt, because we know who he is, we know what he has done, and so we know he can answer our prayers. And it puts our prayers in that proper perspective, doesn't it? And earlier on, when we we prayed the Lord's Prayer together, how does Jesus begin? Exactly the same way, our Father who is in heaven. He is the Father, the one who has a covenant with his people. He's the one who is in heaven. He is over all, the great and awesome God, you see? So as you pray, adore your God. Uh, Just as an aside, in verse 6, notice there how uh, he prays uh, for the servants of God day and night. Uh, This is one servant praying for other servants. And I would just uh, challenge each of us, how much of our praying goes beyond either ourselves or our immediate families? How much of our praying goes beyond those things to the other servants of God as well? Our praying needs to go out uh, beyond ourselves and our house into the kingdom of God uh, wider. And Nehemiah is committed to that day and night. And if you want help with with praying for people beyond yourself, let me encourage you, take home one of the church prayer diaries. We've got pictures of of God's servants in there. Uh, And uh, speak to Tim about getting the email update from the church where we have various prayer updates uh, that you can pray for various 
uh, servants of God. Uh, so that's just a, a bit of an aside there. Uh, but f- so first of all, adore your God. But notice as the prayer moves on, we see how we need to confess our sins. Uh, notice at the very beginning of uh, 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 the second half of verse 6, he says the words, I confess. Confession is important because sin separates us from God. Uh, confession is owning our sin. It's, it's acknowledging that we have a problem. It's acknowledging that we're not all the way to where we should be yet. Confession literally means to agree with God. And so we're saying to God, what you call sin, Lord, I've done that. And I agree that what I've done is what you say I've done. And if God is going to work through us, we need to confess our sins, moving away from sin to righteousness. Uh, If you read the history of the works of God uh, throughout the ages, they've always been accompanied by the confession of sin amongst God's people. If we don't confess our sins, we forget about sin. If we don't confess sin, we don't take it seriously, and we begin to live in our sins. But Nehemiah confesses sin. Notice how he confesses the sin of his people. He says uh, in verse 6 there, we Israelites, I confess the sins of we Israelites. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, including myself and my father's family. You know, it's easy to confess the sins of other people, isn't it? It's easy to point out what they've done. It's even easy to do a general confession of we have sinned. But Nehemiah includes himself here, doesn't he? His own sins. And he gets specific. Notice verse 7. He says there, We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. In other words, their lives have not matched what their Bibles have taught They know that they've not lived as they ought to have lived. They have sinned in various ways, and Nehemiah confesses his sin. And notice how they've sinned against God. In verse 6, it's against you, God, and in verse 7, toward you, toward God. When we sin, yes, it's against one another, but the Bible teaches us that we sin against God. So, brothers and sisters, let's be people who confess our sins. We need to do that uh, often uh, straight away. If you know know you've sinned, uh, don't uh, think, oh, I'll I'll confess later when I can go through this pattern of prayer. That's ridiculous. That's not what we're being taught here. If you know you've sinned, confess sin straight away. But also, it's it's helpful to spend time, uh, perhaps at the end of a day or the beginning of another day, just thinking through the day that's just gone by and thinking, have I, have I lived up to what uh, the Bible says I should be living? Uh, how have I fallen short? And then confess those things to God. Because we will not make progress in our Christian lives if we do not confess our sins. So Nehemiah adores his God. He confesses his sins 
Thirdly, pray your Bibles. The scriptures direct his prayer. What he asks for in verse 11 is according to what he reads about or uh, speaks of from the scriptures in verses 8 to 10. He's praying according to the revealed will of God in his scriptures. And God uh, fulfills his declared plans, which we find in the Bible, through the prayers of his people. And so our prayers must be grounded in the scriptures. In verse 8, notice how he begins with the words, remember. Now, when he says to God, remember, he's not saying, God, you've forgotten something here. That's not what he's saying. If someone says to me, Steve, remember this, it's because I'm liable to forget what I'm supposed to remember. But God isn't here being forgetful. When the Bible speaks to God the words, remember, it's saying to God, intervene here as you have promised to. That's what it means. It's asking God to do what he says he will do. And God had promised to restore his scattered people. He'd said that in Jeremiah. Uh, The prophecy there said that they would return. But Nehemiah here goes further back than Jeremiah. He goes to to the law of Moses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, Let me read you some words which uh, in the morning services we'll get to at some point. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 5. And as I read these, just see how they match up with what Nehemiah prays in verses 8 uh, to 10. Deuteronomy says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors." And you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Uh, When we read there, uh, by the way, restore your fortunes, it can also be translated, bring you back from captivity. And Israel in Nehemiah had been in captivity. And Nehemiah is pleading here the promises of that restoration. The promises of bringing them back and making them prosperous and numerous and so on. So he's asking in verses 8 and 9 for God to do what he said he would do in places like Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he applies these scriptural truths to his people. Notice verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. In other words, the people I'm praying for are the ones you, Lord, made that promise to. They are the people you led out of Egypt. They're your people. You said, Lord, you'd do this. Please, Lord, 
act on behalf of your people. And God is bound to answer this prayer because he promised he would do so. Nehemiah is praying what God had promised. He's saying to God, Lord, here's your promises. Here's your people. I'm asking you on the basis of your promise to do what you said. So when we pray, pray your Bibles. Link what you're praying to what God has said. Now there's much that we, are, much that we pray for that God has not specifically promised. And it's right that we do. So for example, if we pray that God would heal us, God has not promised that this side of heaven we will get better. But he has promised to make his presence known to us, to be with us. He has promised to help us in various ways. He has promised strength. He has promised us that we can rely on him and so on and so forth. And so we can pray, even when we're praying for things like healing, according to the scriptures. Uh, If it helps, um, uh, this last couple of weeks I've been reading through Isaiah. uh, And I got to Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. I'm just going to read you that verse. This helped me as I was praying uh, during this particular uh, time of reading the scriptures. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And so in that verse, we know that when our minds are steadfast, focused on the Lord, he can keep us in perfect peace. And so I was praying for various uh, servants of God, Lord, help them to focus their minds on you. Help them to see that they can, be, uh, that they can trust you so that you can give them peace. You see? We're praying then according to the Scriptures. That's just one small example, but the whole Bible is is prayer worthy uh, in that regard. So pray uh, perhaps uh, things that have come from the sermons on Sunday. Uh, So based on tonight's sermon, you can simply pray that God would help his people to pray. And as you read through your Bibles, pray what you read there. And in doing this, you are grounding your prayers in the will of God, praying according to the Scriptures. And Nehemiah's request in verse 11 is based on what he has just been saying from the Scriptures. Notice uh, verse 11. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So Nehemiah finally makes his request. And it's linked to what he's been praying because he he sees God's promise of restoration in the scriptures. And Nehemiah sees himself as being involved somehow in that restoration, and we see him praying that he would have success as he goes about the presence of the king 
seeking to be able to help in this endeavor of building the walls. What Nehemiah is going to do is he's going to go to King Artaxerxes, the very man who stopped the work in Ezra chapter 4, and he's going to ask Artaxerxes if he can help in the building of the walls. He wants to see the trouble and the disgrace ended. But the thing is, you can't just walk up to the king. He needs an opportunity. He needs wisdom in what to say. He needs the king's heart changed. And so he asks for success. In Nehemiah's mind, he knows that if God is going to fulfill the promise, he needs to change the heart of the king. And so he prays for success. Notice how he trusts in God's power in verse 11. What does he call King Artaxerxes? This man. I think that's lovely. King Artaxerxes is the king of the most powerful empire in the world. But when he's praying to the great and awesome God, King Artaxerxes, he's just a man. And he's a man, by the way, whom, whose heart is in the hands of the Lord who can change it. Nothing is impossible to him. And that's how we should be praying. We should be asking God to give his people success in their endeavors for his kingdom. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for earthly needs. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for daily bread. God will supply our needs. But as we study the scriptures, we have uh, greater ideas of, of, of what to pray for and how to pray. So how do we pray? We adore our God. We confess our sins. We pray our Bibles. And according to that, we make our requests. But what about after we've prayed? Well, we will see that uh, next week where we seize the opportunities. But before we get there, notice the end of verse 11 where Nehemiah leaves us a little note. He says these words. I was cupbearer to the king. So in chapter 1, we've seen the plight of God's city, the pain of God's servant, the prayer of God's servant, but finally, we see the position of God's servant. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. And this helps us understand his request. The cupbearer to the king was a very important job in the Persian Empire. Uh, the cupbearer was a man who had to taste uh, the wine and the food before it went to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was a job for someone who liked wine and food, which, um, you know, food's great, I could do this job, but you had to like a little bit of risk. <laughs> because if the food was poisoned... That's the end of your job as cupbearer, wasn't it? You would die. But the position of cupbearer was also a position of trust. I mean, the king had to trust you, right? Because if you're the cupbearer, you could be the one that could perhaps poison a little bit of the food and you would take it from the bit that wasn't and so on and so forth. It was a position of trust. And here's the key to understanding both his request and next week in chapter 2. He enjoyed the confidence of the king. 
And that gives the context to his requests. He was asking for success in speaking to his boss, and his boss was the one who could change the course of Jerusalem's uh, wall building. But before we get to next week and look at his opportunity, I want to see two things about Nehemiah being cupbearer that really should encourage us all. First of all, Nehemiah was an ordinary man in a secular job. He wasn't a prophet, a priest, or a king. He had no lineage or pedigree that made him worthy uh, to be God's servant in any way. This was a man like the vast majority of Christians in our world. Now, it wasn't, okay, an ordinary job. It was a job of much power in the sense that he was close to the king. But it wasn't anything uh, unique in the sense that he was a special uh, prophet. He was an ordinary man of God. And that's the vast majority of us, isn't it? In fact, I would say that's all of us. We're ordinary people of God who can be used by God to do extraordinary things. But secondly... This final sentence in chapter 1 showed that he trusted the providence of God. Nehemiah believed that he was placed where he was placed at the time he was placed there for the purpose of serving God in his kingdom. God had placed Nehemiah as cupbearer to the king in the words of the book of Esther, For such a time as this. And he was praying, really, that God would use him where he was in his position to serve his real king, the Lord, the God of heaven. And so, what we have here is an ordinary man being willing to be used by God where God has him, who is passionate about God's kingdom who knows his Bible and was willing to pray. And couldn't that be, shouldn't that be a description of all of us? So let me call you to prayer. Seek the Lord. That should be the calling of our church, of each one of us, that we seek the Lord For our church here in Pelsall, we need prayer, don't we? As we seek to reach our community, as we seek to grow together into the image of Christ. We need to seek the Lord for his kingdom wider, for other churches, for the missions that we support. We need people like Nehemiah who are willing to stand in the breach and pray. So would you commit to praying for the work of God here in Pelsall and elsewhere in our world. Let me just finally, uh, very quickly, give you three ways that you could do that. Uh, In your daily life, spend some time each day seeking the Lord. This week, it might be helpful for you just to read Nehemiah's prayer and pray through that. Secondly, let me encourage you uh, to come to prayer meeting. Come and pray with God's people as we pray together for the work of God's kingdom. And thirdly, this week, uh, various uh, brothers and sisters 
uh, are going to be meeting each other in various ways. It happens every week. Uh, we bump into each other. We uh, invite each other around for coffee and so on and so forth. When you meet together, why don't you spend just a few moments together with your brothers and sisters, wherever you are, and spend some time in prayer? It's great that we can talk together and have fun together and all those things. They're important. But just at some point when you're together, why don't one of you say, should we just spend a bit of time praying? And that'll be a really wonderful way of applying uh, what we've been reading in Nehemiah. And as we pray, let's expect God to do great things for his glory. Because as we go through Nehemiah, we're going to see that he does just that. God chooses to work through the prayers of his people. So let's be those who pray. Well, we're going to close with our final uh, song. Uh, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, it's a song that encourages us to take those burdens like Nehemiah had and bring them to Jesus in prayer. Let's stand together uh, as we sing. <laughs>